Hello, and welcome to Swallows of the South. I'm Quinn Wilson, storyteller. Welcome to the first half of this week's double release extravaganza. I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with John Merck and Holden Shearer, the developers for Exalted 3rd Edition, and ask them some questions about the game and the world of creation. It was a lot of fun, and I hope you like it. Before we get started, I just wanted to let everyone know that John has a Patreon where you can support his work. Exalted has been an intense labor of love for everyone on the development team, and rates in the industry could stand to be a lot better. If you like John and the things he does, consider giving to him and supporting the work that he does. I've provided a link in the show notes. Also, keep an eye out for the Backer Charms PDF, which they discuss, coming soon. At that note, here's the interview. Hello, and welcome to Swallows of the South. I'm Quinn Wilson, storyteller, and I am joined today by two incredibly very special guests. They are the developers of Exalted 3rd Edition, John Merck and Holden Shearer. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly, John. Uh, yeah, actually, bullseye. That never happens on the first try. Yeah, I had to uh, take a guess, but... That was obviously John initially clarifying my pronunciation of his name, and Holden, who then chimed in. Yep. Hey, man, cool shirt. I know they, they can't see it, I guess, but you're wearing a, wearing a great shirt. Yes, I'm wearing my Eclipsecast shirt. When I go around and do other podcast stuff, I like to wear it to show my affiliation. It's my favorite solar cast. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Me too. Exalted represent. <laughs> All right. So let's get this interview started with my favorite Exalted Icebreaker. What is your favorite kind of Exalted? And even if it doesn't align with your favorite, if you were one of the Exalted, whose chosen would you be? And what cast or aspect would you be? <laughs> you, you want, like, the cop-out answer? Hold on, you give him the cop-out answer. You give him the cop-out answer. Ah, all right. The cop-out answer is that we love all of the Exalted, and we have to in order to do our jobs. <coughs> Sidereals! <coughs> oh, you're a man after my own heart. Yeah, well, you know, my favorite my favorite Exalt is whatever I'm working on at the time, so right now it's Dragon-Blooded. If you ask me in, in six months, it's probably going to be Exigence or an Exigent of some sort, so... Yeah, it's wherever I am at the time. That's an approach that I can really get behind. Throwing yourself all in on what you're working on is... I mean, the passion that you guys have for the line shows through, and I imagine that just getting completely on board like that helps. It's the only way to do it, that I know of anyway. Yeah, to, to develop Exalted, you kind of have to be a lawyer and advocate for whatever you're working on at the time. And our approach to Exalted is really... It's so roleplay and narrative focused. So we get into character. We think about how does this feel? What's this like to play? And we go from there. So we, we want to create a feeling that's accurate to whatever chosen we're working on at the time. So that chosen has to be our favorite at the time. Back way back in the day uh, before I was actually working on the line for me, it was a uh, was SIDS and then Alchemicals, but these days, yeah, it's whatever we're doing. Whatever we're actively working on at the moment is the most exciting thing. And it really does it really does vary from month to month and year to year. Excellent. And that narrative focus really, really shines through in the work that you do. I cannot tell you the number of times reading through the core book. I was just completely wowed and I could see all of the potential 
lines of narrative that could emerge through just both the setting writing and the mechanics that had been laid out. It was really one of my favorite reading experiences in role-playing, and running it has been a dream, really. Uh, the team worked really hard on it, and uh, we had some really, really good people working with us. So, for those people who might be tuning in who aren't super familiar with Exalted, it's been described by a lot of different people as a lot of different things. A mythic fantasy game, an anime game, a really intensive examination of empire with a focus on real politic. How would you describe Exalted for people who are new to the game? Hmm. Well, that depends a lot on who I'm talking to. So I'm going to tailor that message to my audience, but... If I'm completely in the dark talking to a perfect stranger, I usually tell them that it's a game where you play a hero chosen by the gods and given some of their power, and the gift of divinity makes you unimaginably powerful, but no less vulnerable to the darker side of human ambition, so passion, greed, lust. You have the power to shape the course of history, but your actions can just as easily bring destruction to what you care about. And then I tell them about creation because that's, you know, that's the natural order of things. Uh, once I explain that, then I have to tell them about the world, how it's ancient. Uh, it's an ancient savage world. Uh, it's creeping its way back from an apocalypse with civilization huddled in the shadow ruins of, of the first stage of this vanished sorceress age that came before. And I tell them how creation is a flat world surrounded by a sea of chaos called the wild and how the wild eats away at the borders of the world. And one day creation will sink back into the wild and be consumed. And I tell them exalted games are stories of the fallen age of man and conflicts between the heroes of the gods who've been thrust into this world. That's one day going to, fade away so essentially i just i give them that pitch i cut out a lot of the extraneous detail and i tell them about those core elements because i think those are are fairly universal and, and, and emotional emotionally charged i mean you definitely had me viscerally feeling that description good it works it, it tends to be the one that gets people who like don't even play uh, rpgs or really aren't sure what an rpg or tabletop rpg is when i give them that overview and i tell them it's a game and you play it and this is what it's about i tend to have them hooked even if they don't know what a tabletop rpg is yeah i've i've been playing the game since the moment the pdf dropped and you've just got me completely on board all over again and i've actually been using third edition as a really good jumping on point for people to introduce them both to role-playing in general and then to exalted specifically and it's been going really well actually I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that uh, that makes us both really happy. We love hearing things like that. And it's you're not the first person to to have said something like that to us. It seems like a lot of people are using Exalted as a, a jumping on point to recruit people both into the game and into the hobby, which makes me very happy. Yeah, actually, the whole group that I run the podcast with, aside from myself, are all new to RPGs in general and to Exalted specifically. So I'm using it as a platform to share the enthusiasm that new people can bring to the hobby, and it's great. It's great. Yep, that's awesome. So as you guys were looking at coming into 
third edition, you were given this really interesting and incredible opportunity to reground and re-envision the property as a whole. So what were some of the guiding principles that took you through that process, both in terms of how you guys approached addressing the mechanics as well as the setting of creation? Do you want to take first crack at that one, John? Go ahead. I talked a lot on the last one. Um, John really took point on presenting the setting or, or how to how to present the setting anew for people. So I'll sort of leave that to him and I'll talk mechanics a bit. We really wanted this to be an edition of Exalted that delivered on every promise we put forth. And to do that, we thought it would be best to take it all the way back to the drawing board for the systems and then just look at what story are we trying to tell with each of these systems and then build up rules that reflected that and felt like that. That ended up very quickly becoming our guiding star for building the whole game was to uh, establish the feel we were chasing, the style we wanted to evoke, and then to build rules that felt like that in play. Thus, that that brought us to uh, the social system with its basis in manipulating intimacies and figuring out what people want and uh, tempting them and uh, manipulating them and inspiring them according to what they care about or making them care about things, and to the back-and-forth cinematic combat, which we felt like a lot of games in the past have tried for that but never quite hit it. And uh, with a new edition, we realized we had the opportunity to go all the way back to formula and try and find the uh, what the essence of what made cinematic fights interesting and then build back up around that. So it was just feel all the way as for everything we did for mechanics. It was, what do we want this to feel like? Build for feel. Yeah. And I think that you guys did a super bang up job with that. Every single subsystem in the book, you read it and you go, oh my God, I get what this is about. And I want to do that. Yeah. We knew that this was going to be a heavyweight game. So, you know, it was actually very, fairly liberating. You know, we wanted to uh, streamline things where we could, but we knew it was going to be a big, crunchy game. So, the ability to just take, you know, any sort of ambition to be lightweight or to have very few rules or anything. Once we were free of that, we were able to just focus on making everything work. We wanted to put nothing in that didn't wasn't necessary, but, you know, we were able to work at a, at a high degree of granularity. We wanted basically the best heavyweight system that it was possible to make. I think that you did a, a really, really wonderful job with that, and... Even though it's a mechanically dense and heavy game, most of that mechanical density, it's not really bogging you down when you're playing. It's facilitating things and really moving the narrative forward. And so I don't think I've ever played a game that's as crunchy as EX3 that is also as incredibly facilitating to narrative. Yeah, especially in the early going, I was a fanatic for streamlining and just sawing off every single piece of the game that didn't have to be there and throwing it overboard. We ended up just just paring it down to any any rule that's there is there either because playtesting showed it it needed to be or because we felt like it added more feel to the mechanics than it cost us in terms of overhead for another thing for people to get keep track of. And as far as the system uh, envisioning the setting goes, well, that's sort of John's thing. That was really the initiative he took point on from day one. 
So as for the mechanics, though, as for the core system, another thing to, to point out is that we really wanted to make sure that, that everything tied back to that, that thesis of how does this feel. So any system that's in there, the reason why it facilitates role playing is because of the principle that was our, it was our guiding principle because we see the setting and the lore and the mechanics is intertwined, not a, not a separate thing. <laughs> the mechanics exist to either tell a story or explain creation or something about creation or to explain the exalted or to make you feel an appropriate feeling at that moment so the lore of the setting and the mechanics have to work together in order for the mechanics to be empowering to make you feel mighty or like a like a one-time thing that will never happen again that's what the exalted are so storytelling is what makes all of that come together so the first question we always asked for every last bit of the core system core resolution of combat social was how does this feel and you can see a lot of that applying in forward thinking like it's calibrated to handle more than just solars and you can see that in the core system like for example the social system is tailored to the style of gameplay that made sidereals famous in first edition mm -hmm. and and the animals in in our uh, antagonist section they've been mythologized into really major combatants rather than kind of wastes of time as, as they end up in, in a lot of other RPGs. So they're, they're major combatants because lunars change into animals. We felt that changing into an animal should be an advantage. And the, the mythology of animals makes sense in terms of creation and exalted, what is exalted is. So mythologized animals are a lot bigger and more important in the context of mythology, you know, the, the fox is clever, the owl is wise, the alligator is deadly, or the crocodile is deadly. These mythological traits that, that make them more, it makes them more than science would allow them, them to be, like in a narrative, really fits for Exalted. And so why shouldn't they be, you know, just as like, why shouldn't an encounter with like a tyrant lizard be every bit as harrowing as an encounter with a big monster of some sort? Like, you know, we didn't see a big difference be between those things. Um, so, so that, like, that was kind of what I wanted to add about the, the system. As for setting, um, why we decided to change the setting so drastically is really because it had become too familiar and it was being creation was being perceived as much smaller than it really was or really was supposed to be. So that combination of familiarity and perceived smallness was limiting the number of stories that people wanted to tell. And the stories they were passing on were increasingly insular. So they were becoming about like whatever was popular at the time and whatever still made sense in the context of, of a very of an increasingly shrinking setting where everything was familiar. Countless exegesis have been written on the setting. Like its its mysteries have all been solved and unfolded and made very common. Nobody was telling any new stories. So we wanted to inject a huge amount of mystery back into the design, back into the lore. And that involved a lot of things. Uh, we, we employed a lot of methods. Like we, 
the first one you encounter is when you look at the map and we distorted the map. We made what is very familiar and emotionally compelling into something that nevertheless features jarringly unfamiliar new details and strikes strikes the pattern of the world into a thousand new pieces rather than just five big contiguous lands that were they were shamed like like riddles that everyone could solve yeah the new map is breathtaking and incredible the first time i saw it i i was completely blown away yeah yeah that was we wanted we wanted that feeling like the the uh the recognizable elements are there so there's that emotional response of that's my creation and then there's all this new stuff that's really just gone in and and it starts out the map just has that visual punch of of blowing you right out of your shoes and telling you you don't know everything you thought you knew like what you knew before is changed and the map is the the first impact of that it had to feel like coming home, but it also had to feel like, wow, this this is different. This is new. I got to find out what's going on here. Would it pull you deeper in the book as soon as you saw it, you know, for a returning player? And I think that you guys did really well at that. I feel like the setting has been remythologized, but there's still all of these familiar touchstones that make it feel like creation and like exalted. That it's really an exhilarating breath of fresh air. I think. Yeah, there was also uh, for the the actual presentation of the setting a deliberate decision not to try to be like an authoritative. This is third edition. There's there's a train of about eighty five, eighty nine supplements scattered across the last two editions that have gone into that have expanded a lot on the basic ideas of the setting. We know all you know they explained all kinds of things about this and that and how the realm works and how this co- that court is put together, and we decided we didn't want to be like this enormous compression and compilation of all that expanded data, but instead to just go back to the core ideas that made the game exciting. And for all, for returning players, just kind of kind of brush aside the cobwebs of detail and clutter and get back that basic excitement. You know, uh, yes, there's all sorts of details of like primary and secondary school and yada yada you may know, but. You know, step back and see again that it's this enormous colossal empire with its mailed fist around the throat of the world. Back to the thesis. And for new players, we didn't want to burden them with a bunch of details to keep track of. Instead, we had to just focus on getting them to fall in love with the basic ideas of the setting. And if they wanted to take those and run off in some other direction that didn't line up with old supplements, no harm in that. Absolutely. And I think that, again, it's... In my experience, every time I've shown this to someone new, that's been pretty much exactly what's happened. They've just been filled with this like inspiration and wonder at the world. Awesome. You guys are really crushing it on that front, as far as I'm concerned. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. So, my next question is, as, as I understand, this was your first time stepping up. You were both co-developing, I think, at the end of 2nd Edition, mm-hmm. but you stepped forward and did this system and this re-envisioning ground up completely for 3rd edition. And so I imagine that that was a pretty different experience than handling all of these things that were kind of set in stone from the earlier work in 2nd edition. So what, as you were going through that, was one of the more challenging aspects that you guys dealt with and then overcame through that process? Well, I almost died 
But, oh wait, you're talking about just in in, in the development process. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that you didn't. I mean, oof. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of happy about that too. But the uh, just the sheer magnitude, the scope, absolutely, the, the friggin' scope. Yeah, we knew from the beginning that we had this massive job ahead of us, and we had big ambitions for third edition. We wanted it to be true to all of Exalted, so we had to build a game that would make room for all of them, and not just the ones from before, but the ones we wanted to do, and we still want to do, and we, you know, we teased the internet about <laughs> these, these other Exalted. Well, they're really there. You know, we're not lying. So each part of this process was like mountain climbing. And we would reach one peak only to behold a new and taller mountain that had to be climbed. The highest one by far was the Solar Charm set because we knew it was going to be a gargantuan undertaking and it was where the addition would ultimately uh, sink or swim. It had to be the definitive vision of the solars and one that would keep players happy for the life of the addition. So it had to be deep and immersive and it also had to be massive. It had to be expansive. So it had to grow along with the player and it had to be tested bit by bit. And often I would stop in the middle of writing it and realize that core resolution mechanics didn't cover some aspect of what the solar charm set required. And so I would pause and write, write that system right there, write it into the mechanics. For example, I wrote the entire set of rules for lore, challenging and introducing facts. The, the same day I started writing the lore charms during a break between uh, two of my classes at university. So that, that happened several times where I was going back and I was adding pieces to the core system. I remember that on linguistics too. You're like, well, what if you wrote this magic book? And it's like, well, how do you write a book? Okay, let's go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, we we came up on that with bureaucracy, like how do solars launch large scale projects, expeditions. So it it was something that was constantly being revisited as I went, and so the the system has that tight thesis because well the the thesis flows from <laughs> me, and and it and it I mean it was. Uh, it was something that, you know, was very much in my mind is how does this feel? How's this going to make the player feel? What does this feel like? Does it feel like a solar? And and so it was it was mountain climbing and the the solar the solar charm set once we got to the top of that mountain and I finished the set, we were finally looking down on the rest of the the book and there were still mountains to climb there were still you know we were at the at the highest peak but not out of the mountain range yet and so it was it was just the magnitude uh yeah for me it was it was the scope it was the sheer goddamn scope of the project and the necessity of forecasting like you know here we okay we had a an idea for a really innovative combat system and that was good and but then we also needed to handle Warfare, because the exalted fight, you know, are are supposed to be able to whip like a hundred men at once, or a thousand in some extreme cases. And then, well, also they sail around. There's this whole quadrant of the setting that's like pirates and the age of sail and stuff. And so we need good rules for ships. But we also have sorcerers, and you know, just the old rules for sorcery didn't really 
support a lot of the stuff the setting described sorcerers doing, so we needed that. And then, well, there's martial arts, and that's always had problems. We need that, and we need a good social system, and, you know, no one's ever really turned in a craft system that was very interesting, and so on and so forth. So there's just all—it's a big game. It gives you a ton of freedom to do a ton of things, and we needed all of those to be supported well. And then we had to sit down and say, well, okay, every single thing that we built, well, okay, this is good, but what happens when, like, a lunar gets hold of it? Or a sidereal who has this? You know, okay, well, we've designed this to work this way, but what about these guys who have attribute charms, and, and they don't line up with that basic model at all? So it was basically the work of building seven or eight really big dedicated systems and then having to future-proof them against our ideas for all these other exalts, who some of whom work very differently from the, the guys in the core book. It was basically it was like building an RPG times eight or nine. Just yeah, sheer sheer scale. I can imagine. I know that all of the different exalt types have historically worked with the different parts of the system so differently, and just making sure that it's going to facilitate that, especially looking at all of the new types of exalts that you guys are looking at in the in the context of third edition, I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine that. And what we got talking about all of these exigent systems that came out of trying to make the charm set do in pursuing your thesis for the line. I mean, the lore system is super, super cool and evocative. And I read the bureaucracy charm system, like the bureaucracy charm set. And I know exactly what I want to do. And I, I can see a bunch of different characters that come off of it. Don't even get me started on sorcery and martial arts. Those are so, so cool. I feel like the promise of those has finally been delivered on in this just incredible, incredible way. Thank you. That's totally awesome to hear that. Yeah, we, uh, we're we proud of all of it. Uh, but there's, like, we could talk we could talk all day about any anything you listed there. Yeah about what what we had to do for martial arts and what we had to overcome and kind of there was a lot of pushback when it whenever we talk about martial arts and i think we've i think we have quieted everybody on that because like there were so many people wanted so many things and they had so many ideas of how it had to be and we we're telling them no we're not going to do that we've got it handled guys don't worry about it and like like just just the challenges inherent in sorcery and what it had to be and what I kept pushing sorcery to be because I knew it needed to be more 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 so I kept just putting Vance and Holden under all this extreme pressure to do this x y and z it has to do this it has to do that and they really delivered especially on uh, sorceress workings which I worked with Holden directly on that and yeah, and Sorceress Rituals, which I worked with, uh, I came up with that concept, and I and I really helped Robert to understand it, and then I set him loose in there, and he just came up with all the right stuff. Like, he just understood it. Yeah, he started knocking it out of the park left and right. Yeah, he just he just understood the rituals and what they could do just inherently, and he did exactly what I wanted. Uh, I mean, a- any part of what you listed, like any any part, there's all kinds of stories of the challenges, the hurdles, what we needed, what we wanted, and it all goes back to how does it feel? What's it gonna feel like? Because because creation has told us, Exalta has told us through creation what a sorcerer is like and it's described them before in the lore but the systems never represented it so now they do 
and they had to because we weren't going to go a third edition with those promises unkept. And that's the other really hard part is when you have, you know, um, Rich Thomas was good enough to give us basically carte blanche to rebuild the game as we as we saw not as we saw fit but as we deemed necessary and that meant that every time we came up to an old system that you know it wasn't perfect before it had problems that if we went on and we just you know put it back down pretty much as we found it and still had those problems unaddressed that was on us you know that wasn't a legacy issue anymore because we'd been given the right to resolve all legacy issues and indeed the mandate so it was a lot of work and a lot of pressure, mostly self-imposed <laughs> and entirely worth it, in my opinion. And that's that's not to say that we don't still perceive some problems or challenges ahead. Oh, God, yeah. Because we do. Uh, some, some things that uh, may have arisen from our design or some things that problems that we kept because we wanted to keep something that was good, but it came along with something problematic every piece of design is a trade-off no exception yeah so so there's you know there's there's challenges ahead and we know that i'm looking forward to seeing how you tackle them because i have nothing but faith in the work that you guys are doing at this point having third edition in my hands running it in a couple of different groups there's just i'm super excited to see you know what comes of this <laughs> it's a hell of a thing to finally have it out there so that was a lot of talk about the struggles and even some of the the really, really wonderful things that came out of those struggles. But now I'm going to ask you a difficult question because I'm going to have to ask you to pick just one thing that you think was the greatest triumph for the two of you as developers for this new edition. Just one thing. Okay. Just one. Well, people love the game. The books are already gone double platinum on drive through. And it hasn't even been out a month yet. And the old evangelism of first edition has returned where, where people are like so psyched for Exalted. They tell everyone they meet how awesome it is. Like it, like it's getting to the point where I'm going to be at a con or something and someone is going to not know who I am. And they're going to come up and tell me about Exalted. <laughs> like every time I meet an Exalted player, they tell me all about how awesome third edition system is and how much they love the solar charm set what more could a developer ask for and then they go on to boast about the crazy shit they, their character has done with it oh yeah and then, then you get like just just all kinds of great stories and the stories are all different and that that was an that was a big aim that that's proof that our our guiding principle worked because uh, i identify specifically that the number of stories people could tell if we increase those that number of stories and the quality of those stories they that they were telling exalted would get big again mm -hmm. it would it would come back because they would be telling all these awesome stories to their buddies and their buddies would get interested and pick up the game and, and they would get sucked in like everybody else who's ever fallen in love with exalted has gotten sucked in and we just wanted to increase that effect because we knew we knew there was always going to be a small radius of people who would who would latch onto those core elements of exalted without a lot of work if they just encountered them we just wanted to make sure that that 
that area of effect got bigger. Like the the story spread and, and people were just out there playing it and enjoying it and not talking about like, oh, the setting, you know, it's disappointing or the system disappointed me because because believe you me, if, if that was the case, that's all they would talk about. And the few good stories that were there to tell, people would not be talking about that. For me, the... I mean, I I can't really follow up that answer. I have to I have to give the same answer now. I was gonna say the combat system finally working and being actually fun, but <laughs> no, it's he's right. It's um, not just that that people uh, are excited again, but that the book is has got a uh, real depth to it is the thing that I'm proud of. And something about Exalted has always been a thing about Exalted is people don't just, you know, buy the books. Uh, they play it. They play the game. They play the hell out of it. I mean, there, there are popular, really good games like, say, Unknown Armies, which just finished uh, Kickstarter for its third edition. Keep an eye out for that really oh, good yeah. game. But Unknown Armies, has, people love that game to death, but I don't know a lot of people who've actually played it. It is admired more than it is actually played, and that's true of a lot of of role-playing games, really good role-playing games. That was never true of Exalted. Exalted, people bought it, they talked about it, and they played the hell out of it, and when their campaign broke up, they immediately rolled up new characters and started a new campaign. And being aware of that, that legacy of just people play and play and they play Exalted, it was very important to me that we have... This core book that would stand up to years, a decade, a solid decade of play, and people could still find new and exciting things to do about it. You know, they finish up their ninth solar character, and they've got an idea of something they haven't tried yet, and they want to try in there. And we finally got that kind of depth in the game. That made me, uh, that's got me really happy. Yeah, this absolutely feels like a completely new Age of Glories for Exalted, and oh man... I, I just can't even begin to to think about how many different stories and characters there are to like pull apart and examine just with the core, and that is so incredible. Mm-hmm. So I think that we've actually touched on this a lot through our conversation so far in as much as the mechanical systems are concerned. We've talked about how you've used this kind of guiding thesis to structure all of the mechanics around how is it going to feel like what is this going to produce at the table in terms of narrative and these vis- visceral feelings? And like I've said over and over again, you guys have done such, such a good job of that. The mechanics feel so natural. I mean, we're looking at the results, but what really pushed you towards that more narrative face on taking and approaching the mechanics? Yeah, the, I mean, that that goes back to my earlier answer. You know, we, we put the... We put emphasis on storytelling out of the belief that the the game lives through that evangelistic conversation about what Exalted is. So, so if creation is boring, or if the mechanics let you down, the uh, the few good stories that that are there will get focused on exclusively, and Exalted will look old and stale very quickly. So it has to have the that depth of storytelling, the depth of possibility in storytelling so that you know the, the the game everybody's playing the same game but their stories will look different uh the, is the narrative facing design puts you more strongly in the role of your character it makes the powers feel more real uh it continually maps back to the theme of the game that the choices you make are critical 
having godlike powers makes you responsible for what happens, good or ill. There's no there's no magic in there that makes you make good decisions. This is exalted's lifeblood. If the world doesn't matter, the consequences don't matter, and so the story and mechanics don't matter. If all that's true, then there's no reason to play. So we put good storytelling and dramatic roleplay forward as the holy grail of this design, and everything emphasizes the narrative. For me, the question of why do that narrative-style design... Part of it is legacy inheritance for Exalted that we wanted to remain true to. The original developer, Jeff Grabowski, said once that he did charms specifically as an alternative or a moving away from generic power sets like the hero system where, yeah, you can dress up your D6 energy blast as anything you want. It can be an optic beam, it can be an ice blast, whatever. But deep down, you always know that underneath whatever you're calling it, it's really just a a 2D6 energy blast. So... You know, we wanted to keep that, which meant lots of specificity in the system. And I wanted to maintain an old school, traditional design core for the system. So, you know, your strength stat measures how strong you are. You're playing one character. You don't have a pool of, like, narrative points to spend to interrupt the storyteller and and take hold of part of the story. We wanted that old school basis of a GM and everybody has their character, and they tell stories together, because I think that is the most popular model, and it's the most appealing model for RPGs, and Exalted has a big audience. But the bending of those those traditional elements toward a more narrative design, um, it's in support of, well, I... Ultimately, when you're playing Exalted, you're playing a game and you're telling a story. And you have a storyteller there to adjudicate it, which is an advantage that no other kind of game, no other medium uh, out there has. Uh, Video games can handle math far more complicated than we can ever manage because they have computer to crunch all the numbers, but they don't have a human mind to say, well, that makes sense. Like, well, you know, there's not really a specific rule for that, but that sounds kind of, that doesn't sound kosher. So we wanted to put uh, a lot of trust in the storyteller. We observed that in actual play, players and storytellers make on-the-fly ad hoc decisions all the time, and it's rarely a problem. So we said, you know, if you wanted just uh, nothing but flashy systems, there are all kinds of there's an entire hobby of video games out there competing with us, and they will be always be able to do that better than we can. But what no one else can do is get together and tell a story like this hobby. So we bent those traditional designs toward expression of the story and expression of the characters, because we both think that that is ultimately what people come and sit down at the table for, so that they can have a really memorable dude that they created and that they guided to triumph or disaster whatever their final end may be, and they told a story together with their friends about this group of really cool characters. And I think that the the narrative bent of the rules was the best way to achieve that. Yeah, and you're, you're never telling stories about the mechanics in this game. That, that wasn't true uh, previously, uh, particularly in, in second edition, where the stories became about, literally about the mechanics. What did, what did the mechanics do and how did that you know, influence the setting. Yeah, they came up with some really interesting stuff out of that navel gazing, but the uh, 
so the the mechanics in every instance this is something that i just like i uh i took i took evocations out of the final draft to go back to to work on that concept because i felt that the mechanics were starting to tell the story so everything everything in the mechanics everything in the core system is a facilitator for the story the mechanics reflect what the story should be and the things that should happen in a tale of exalted should be mapped down into the system or into the charms Mm -hmm. and the charms are the roots that lead you down to the system Mm -hmm. and not vice versa that's why the charms at least for solars come out of your abilities. They come out of who you are. They come out of what you can do. They're there to help you express your character. And that's why the traditional design base, you know, the individual characters, the lack of uh, direct player agency in the narrative beyond the actions of their characters, because you're playing an extremely powerful individual with a lot of agency through his power in the world, but who's living in a world that isn't necessarily interested in getting out of his way or doing what he want, it wants him to do, or what he wants it to do. And it's only your character's cleverness and his power that's going to uh, force the world into compliance. It's not going to uh, oblige him just because he's the protagonist. And so that's why that level of tradition and separation it again serves the feel of the stories we're telling you know pulp weird fantasy absolutely and there's a lot that you've been saying holden that touches on one of my favorite things that i say when i talk about game theory or game master theory and that's that rpgs are fundamentally dialogic or discursive and i think that a lot of the rules and the narrative bent that you guys have really injected into third edition facilitate that dialogue in a really really good way and like john was saying about evocations seeing what we have in the book i really love the way that there's like all of these narrative kind of gates that exist around the evocations where you get your cool powers by telling cool stories about your character and their (laughs) relationship with their weapon absolutely i can't think of any other examples of anything that's even like resembles that in the melee of games that i've played yeah what what sets the artifacts apart is that they have a story and they have to have a story in order to to really justify their place in Exalted now, because to drop them in any other way conflicts with really the the kind of diegetic logic of the game now, where it's, it's story first. So if you have this thing that is so powerful, like think of Beloved Adderay. <laughs> Not a super, super powerful Dyclave, but what if I ripped all the lore out of that sword and what if i just dropped it in with just it's it's mechanical effects like a holy miracle strike and uh, some of the you remember Mm -hmm. its powers if i if i just dropped it in there without without the context of like what Adderate is it would stick out like a sore thumb it it would probably not work absolutely and i think that the way that it really encourages you to look at those stories is really really cool and i think that it serves as this good basis for players who are coming in and are wanting to make their own cool weapons or stories about their characters and the weapon that's been with them through all of these different trials and tribulations, I think that it scaffolds that kind of thing well where you can look at it and pull from that. And I think that that's really wonderful. Definitely. It's something that makes artifacts and evocations make sense by putting 
putting that narrative lens on them. So that's something that we're looking into as we get back to finishing Arms of the Chosen. That's very, very exciting to hear. So as you guys were going through this, game design doesn't really occur in a vacuum. You know, you're looking at these kind of legacy issues, you're looking at what you want out of the game. So I'm going to ask if you guys had any specific designers or other games that were external to Exalted that you looked to or took inspiration in the way that you approached third edition. Oh, yeah. Well, both both Holden and I have a we have a history in the FGC, which is the fighting game community, uh, going back all the way all the way to the '90s. So both of us have been really, really into Capcom, Street Fighter, mm-hmm. SNK, King of Fighters. I've been big on the Tekken series from Namco from time to time. I was a big fan of Guilty Gear when it first came out. So oh, so Caliber, can't forget, can't forget about that one. And and Holden has a lot of eclectic fighting games or at least what i consider eclectic fighting games that he's been into and so the fighting game history informed our feel of combat flow in this game particularly um, not just in in the initiatives the initiative mechanics but in narrative pacing like in the solar charm set narrative pacing is a is a big concern some charms like in previous editions, the charms were just you pay moats. If you have enough moats, the charm goes off. If you have sometimes there's a willpower cost, you pay the willpower cost, charm goes off. And this time sometimes the, the charms ask for more. They want you to use the charm on a certain round, or they want you to have a certain amount of initiative, or they want you to okay, you can use this charm if you can afford it, you can use it whenever. But then it's got a reset condition. You're not going to be able to use it again until X, Y, or Z has happened. And sometimes those are things you can accomplish. And what that is, is an attempt to, and we think very successful attempt, to make sure that these charms, that people are thinking about when they use these charms. And then if they're thinking what we think they're thinking, this is turning into a joke, if they, they're thinking what we think they're thinking, then the Yomi. Yeah, then we can map we can map those charms around like high points in a fight, low points in a fight, and we can kind of predict how the fight will look and how it will feel dramatically. So any fight, like Holden has used this analogy so many times, and it's a really good one. Any fight is gonna have its highs and lows. It's gonna have its high spots and it's gonna have kind of its lulls and the the best example that Holden used is in the Luke and Vader fight in in either Star Wars movie, but really in in Empire. You know, just the the exchange of of initiative. You can see it in that fight. Who's who's got the upper hand? Where's the momentum going? And you can compare that fight to Return of the Jedi, where where Luke just he overwhelms Vader eventually and just just overcomes him and lands a decisive blow and, and knocks his hand off. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can see the high spots in those fights. You can see the rise and falling action. Like we look at, we look at fights as, as stories within the story and the fight has to tell a story rather than just like, okay, I, I rolled and my roll sucked. 
and therefore I am now taking the spinning pile driver <laughs> onto a uh, a trash wagon. <laughs> so the you know we 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 wanted it to be more than just like you're at the mercy of the dice. We wanted it to be like you can kind of predict how the fight's going to happen before the fight's over. So there's this separation of withering and decisive, and you're building up to a decisive, and then you're going to make the decisive like you're all out attack. It's going to be the one where if it lands, then it lands because you you created that opening. You made sure that they had an onslaught penalty, or you made sure they were crashed so their hardness was nullified, or their defensive charms went offline because you crashed them and you pick that perfect moment to strike and then you're going to use your you know you're going to use your reset charms that you know it's your your one time only unless you can reset it you're going to use it at that perfect moment so it's all built around narrative high spots low spots but you know we we took that from our fighting game background we looked a lot at the game Dissidia yep. by Square Enix uh, the Final Fantasy fighting game because we felt like that had a really that game stood out. It's not as a fighting game goes. It's not balanced at all. Oh God, no! But but we loved the dramatic pace of the fights because those fights told stories and they got across who the character was. If you're really familiar with Final Fantasy, then you're really you're really going to be familiar with those characters, just as you would be familiar with your exalted characters. You know what a solar is supposed to be like or a lunar is supposed to be like and you especially especially know what your solar is supposed to be like and what your lunar is supposed to be like so we wanted the fights to tell the story of your character and so we took we took some pointers from Dissidia. the combat system is also very heavily influenced by what musashi said about when the perfect uh when is the perfect moment to strike and when is the perfect moment to delay so if you haven't read musashi you know some of the fundamentals of of ex3 are in his book uh, musashi is the reason why initiative is your attack pool and it's also your turn speed i will have to touch back on musashi then i haven't given his writings a fair shake <laughs> smart dude he's a smart dude yeah I, I assume your question was really aimed at like within the hobby, like Greg Stolze and so on. But honestly, uh, we'd spent most of our time you know, looking outside of of uh, role playing games because Exalted drew from we went we looked to the sources Exalted drew from. Yeah, I mean, if if you like like if you model the, like the Luke Invader, it, when people say cinematic combat, I cannot think of a more cinematic fight than that one. And in most role playing games. The fight between Luke and Vader, the end of Empire, would be roll, uh, blocked, roll, blocked, roll, blocked, roll, miss, roll, blocked, blocked, miss, 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 blocked, blocked, one shot. Boring. All of the storytelling is in that tension of the attacks that didn't end the fight and didn't even actually injure the other guy. They tell a story and then there's and then build up to a conclusion, which in Luke's case, Bon Voyage Hand. <laughs> but, I mean, that's something that John has has uh, studied and cared about for a lot a lot for a long time is the art of storytelling in a fight and that's why people look at me like I'm crazy when I say like the the fights in Man of Steel sucked I mean yes they're very pretty but there's you know there's no back and forth there's no story being told just two invincible people hitting each other without that drama without that tension without 
a narrative emerging from the action, fights become action becomes tedious, and the wars and passions of demigods in the Forgotten Age before history should never be tedious. It should be exciting. Yeah, we look to video games. We looked to films, uh, we looked to television series, we looked to novels for inspiration. We basically said, what are we trying to emulate? What does this feel like? And then we studied that. The social combat uh, owes a lot to the that television series, The Tudors, uh, more than anything that anyone else was doing in RPG design at the time. Obviously, the game owes a lot to its forebears in RPGs. The When you strip out all the crazy shit we did, there's still the storyteller system you know, sitting at its base, which goes back to the people who overhauled that for tr- the Trinity games and World of Darkness for that. And Shadow, and for being honest, Shadowrun, before White Wolf was inspired to create Storyteller System um, by changing its D6s into D10s. And, you know, the rabbit hole goes back and back deeper and deeper. It uses lots of foundations from RPG lingo. But then um, all of its elaborations tended to look outwards away from the hobby try and find those things. I, I was hoping looking in places that other people weren't. Yeah, I definitely think that looking outside is a great place to look. It's like definitely as valid as looking within what's going on right now. When people complain about, you know, they, they, they look back in... When we were writing it, D&D 4 was the newest edition of that game. Um, you know, they complained, oh, it's like it's like World of Warcraft. And I always thought, you know, looking at World of Warcraft was one of the smartest things they ever did. For, for their design, because people play the hell out of that. That game has some good ideas. And if you look to another piece uh, form of media and you see good ideas, my God, you steal them if you can use them. <laughs> oh yeah. You uh, you you pry them up, you pry up the nails, and you carry those fuck, and you carry that fucker back off to your garage, and you work on it until you've got it, something that you can use out of it. Of course, D and D four would be a premier example of. A story coming from mechanics rather than vice versa, so completely antithetical to what we were doing. So we we did not look, even though Exalted owes so much of his DNA to to Trinity and Vampire before it. Mm-hmm. We weren't looking at any of those. No. Like we didn't look. We didn't look at any of those systems. We had First Edition as a as a framework, and no other RPG, no other tabletop RPG, I should say. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, I've used touching back on what what you guys were talking about before i've used holden's example of the the luke vader fight as a way to help describe the withering decisive split to people and i think that it's really really evocative and seeing the ways that that plays out it does feel like in combination with that and the charms that your characters are using you are telling stories about your characters as these fights emerge it feels like you're learning something about the characterization and the motives and the drives of the people that are involved in these conflicts every time you engage in combat, and mm-hmm. that's really incredible. And John was very careful when he was building uh, the charm set to give each of the combat abilities a distinct character, not just a strategy, but a character and attitude, and usually several variations on that within that so that you know you could make statements about who your character was by how he fought. 
you know, and then thank God the uh, the the system's got enough tactical range that that every character, every every fighter is not just forced into you know this one strategy that works. There are a lot of ways to do it, and it's not just about you know how do I win this fight, but how do I win this fight in a way that really feels like my character Mizrahi or you know whatever your your Doncast name is. And uh, that was that was something John was very deliberate in uh, in trying to get in there when he was building the charm set. And I think it paid off. I hope it did anyway. The uh, yeah, the combat abilities in particular are not balanced against each other. Like they are not intended to be equal. Uh, nothing is better at brawl at doing single target damage, but brawl is not very well defended. So there there are pluses and minuses to every ability every combat attack ability, but they're, they're very much not, I didn't go through and say, okay, it's gotta be like, this has to be just as good as that. Or this has to be basically do what this does because that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for, if I'm playing an archer, does it feel like archery? Does it feel like being a super archer? Not is my archer like just as good as blank. That was not, not my logic. It definitely feels like, because you're pursuing those narratives within the context of the the charm sets, you're still able to meaningfully contribute and tell stories about your characters in every fight, even if you're not even that invested in your combat ability. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Of, because of the way the combat system works, even the guy, someone who's just, I mean, they just got a, a one or two charms, uh, or even somebody with none, they can contribute to the fight they can help out and their presence on the battlefield is meaningful and um the the person who just absolutely sucks at fighting who was there for the fight can be as memorable as the the guy who took out like 30 dudes absolutely one of the really really great things that i think has always been present in the exalted community is just their rampant enthusiasm and the way that that manifests in a lot of homebrew material that people generate and share, be it mechanical or setting material. So in what ways is Exalted Third kind of looking or designed to interact with or facilitate that sort of community that's always kind of been very vibrant around the game? Everything. The world is bigger. The blank spaces are blanker. Jim is right up talks about its relationship with four or five settlements around it that we don't go into detail on. So you can, or add a seventh, you know. I got my start doing uh, homebrew martial arts and posting them on the forums back in 2006. Everything in the game is designed for to invite expansion. You know, there's, seven, there's over 700 charms. Plug one in that speaks to your guy. And we've got a, a supplement should be dropping any time now that indeed was uh, Kickstarter backers ponied up to have custom charms written for their characters. And now those are being shared with everyone, and they have all been written and balanced to be usable at any table for any game. Oh, yes, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, let me cut in with a, a little mini commercial for that <laughs> really quickly. Uh, that that PDF will be available for sale to the general public very soon. It features 48 backer charms. Those are charms that Kickstarter backers purchased. They were fast enough with their lightning fast clickers to purchase back during the Kickstarter. So those are charms that they worked with me. They kind of had requests, a couple of different requests, and I, I worked to get their charm just right. And so there's 48 of those. And then because I'm, I'm so overjoyed with how much support, like the fans of Exulta have always picked me up. Like they've always carried me. 
it kept me going. I went ahead and I put in 30 something bonus charms. So the solar backer PDF is coming soon and it's got like 80 charms for solars, really powerful charms, really cool charms. We just focused on power and fun and opening up the the really miraculous, crazy, blatantly supernatural things that solars can do because the the uh, the core charm set established the the core framework it it established the basis for their power and then in the backer pdf that's coming up i went ahead and and stepped away from that and i talked to the backers and i decided okay we're gonna we're gonna just we're gonna go nuts we're gonna we're gonna experiment and we're going to come up with things that are really kind of standalone and they they work with i mean of course it it all works with the, the core stuff but it's it's powers that really jump up there and say, Hey, I am a returned God King from the first stage. This is my power. This is what I can do. This is what I can really do. So, so those charms are, they're really, they, we've dialed it up. They're turned, they're turned up to 10 and they're really fun. And so that's, that's my commercial for that. That's coming soon. Everybody, everybody will be able to buy that. Um, yeah, it's not just, you know, that there's all kinds of mechanical things. It's like, oh, you know, there, there's all kinds of martial arts styles in the world, and here's 11, you know, and there's all kinds of spells, and here's a few, and there's uh, a whole world of artifacts, and here's a couple of examples, go make your own. But I mean, uh, I, there's exigence. There are all kinds of characters, make your own. It's a huge world, fill it up with cool shit. There was a thing that uh, back in the day, when before it before it shut down, when the old world of darkness was uh, the big going concern from White Wolf, I I collect, collected books religiously. I have hundreds of them, and I get a new supplement, and I'd be thumbing through, and the 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 author would be describing this weird thing, and I just play this little game in my head that I called "Who's That Pokemon." <laughs> I'm just looking at the description of this weird man and worms erupted from his face. I'm like, I know what that is. That's a fomor. Yeah. Because every time you saw something, it was some it was something that was named and cataloged and categorized from somewhere else. And um, it got to where, in Exalted, by the end of the last edition, you could do that same thing. You know, it's like here's the thing. It's weird. Ah, oh, I know exactly what that is. That's the thing from uh, Chapter Four of Scroll of this and that. Didn't like that. Didn't like everything having a box that you could fit it in neatly. And so the big thing we did to try and promote that homebrew spirit in the community was to take the very basis of the game, the Exalted. John, again, this was his thing. This was his ground floor pitch for Exalted 3rd Edition, said we're going to have more Exalts. We're going to say, you know, it's it's about divinity and heroism and power rather than these these narrow definitions. We're gonna we're gonna say there are there are loose weird spirits in the world. Are they god, demon, or something else? It may not even be useful to answer that because it's more important to deal with them and figure out you know uh, what does it want? How do I make it go away? The whole setting has been made large and its boundaries indefinite to invite storytellers to dare to tell whatever the hell crazy story floats in their head to take whatever far out their idea and try and run with it and see what, where it goes and to invite players you know yeah make make shit up we we really want the obvious core of the game when you just look at the the basic core book says yeah go crazy there's all kinds of shit out there's 
all kinds of strangeness out there. It's on you to make a lot of it up. So when someone comes up with comes to the forums and they said, I have this crazy idea for this crazy thing I built in my game, I'm hoping that that produces a spirit of, you know, well, wow, that's cool. Instead of, oh, you know, that doesn't work with what they said on page 17 of Supplement 3. It's like, sure, you know, it's there's all kinds of weird exceptions. There's all kinds of things to discover. And there's all kinds of cool stuff to make up to play the character you want. You know, if that means you need a robot arm on your character, sure, you know, put in a robot arm. Go for it, by all means. It's a big world, and no one's ever going to discover everything in there. Absolutely, and that's that's really great. I've pulled on it a little bit in a couple of the games that I've been playing. I mean, the podcast exists in a corner of creation that I've kind of fleshed out on my own, and some mm-hmm. of the different characters are coming with these different backstories that I feel like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that to be the case, but because of how large and open the world is, it facilitates these interesting narratives about someone who used to live under the sea and now has been banished to the land and that kind of thing. I think it's really great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's not something we talk about at all in the core book, but it totally fits in with the world. So run with it. All right. Looking back to less of this kind of mechanical or homebrew stuff and more towards some of the world building that goes on, The game's always been this really big, larger-than-life world filled with these heroes, but it's also been, like, the actual setting material has been really well-developed and has looked to a lot of things like anthropology and history in the way that it's been built up. So how do you kind of balance and integrate the larger-than-life essence of the game with these more sort of grounded elements as you guys have developed the locations and personalities that populate creation, especially when you're looking at a lot of the new places that have been introduced in Exalted Third, like the Call or Wujon. It's specifically those the, the nitty-gritty elements that make it possible to care about the terrible Sorcerer King in his flying tower. People will enjoy spectacle for an hour, but they won't really get invested in something that doesn't feel lived in, that they can't relate to, well, that they can't relate to at all, but that they can't relate to as something real in their head and extrapolate from. So as world builders, it behooves us to spend as much time as we can spare uh, figuring out how worlds work. That means, you know, economics, history, sociology. You know, if we're going to write about, about air quotes like barbarian tribes, it would probably behoove us to... Uh, do research into actual pre-modern peoples, people with non-standard technology, you know, the Mayas, etc., um, and find out, you know, that, yeah, they had these incredibly sophisticated and complicated cultures and societies and technological bases that doesn't look like what we're familiar with, so that we go and we can write that subject and like, hey, here's these people. They're really, really fucking interesting, and uh, here's this giant empire, you remember the realm, is about to roll over them and just smash them into the ground because they have got uh, dragon-blooded cavalry can shoot fire out of their spears. That goes from, okay, well, the, ro- the realm rolled over these dudes painted in wood with stone axes to, um, goddamn, there's this vibrant, interesting culture right here that is getting exterminated. Maybe we should tell a story about stopping that or witnessing it happening, or I'll have the last guy who survived from this tribe, and he's really pissed off, and he's got a lot of depth to him. You put in the work building the foundations of your of your setting, uh, and the more the better job you do setting down those foundations, 
the bigger, crazier and airier the constructs you can build up from that. Yeah. The, the axiom we follow is that in order for fiction to work, to be compelling, to be emotionally resonant, it has to be believable. So that's why magic has been so toned down. Their matergy is less ubiquitous. There aren't enlightened mortals. Magitech is not a word. You know, it's it's been brought back to more of an, an elemental and recognizable basis so that when the magic does show up, it means something. You're not tired of it already. It's like, oh, shit, it's a sorcerer. Yeah. It's not familiar. So when we take those... We take those believable elements, those recognizable elements from history or society. We draw more on situations than cultures mm-hmm. when we try to make uh, creation feel real and authentic. You know, we avoid just transplanting cultures. We don't. We don't do that. We we look at the situations that a culture may have existed in, so there will be similarities in a culture in the real world and a culture in creation if they were under the same circumstances, if they lived under the same circumstances. Like, for, for example, I've studied pre-Christian Spain, Islamic Spain, and it was a unique time period because of the unique social, political, religious harmony that existed during that time between the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims, uh, groups that, you know, history would have you believe they are always enemies. So there aren't Jews and Christians and Muslims in creation, but there are people with very diverse and often combative religions that they wouldn't think get, get along. And they, sometimes they do in creation and sometimes they do because that's what's best for them. And because there is an outside force that, that is even that they consider enemy rather than one another. So there's a, a harmony between, you know, distinct people. And, and that's where the situation starts to kind of mirror real world events because we'll look at like, well, how does that harmony exist? What, what allows these religions to coincide when really they have such different ideas? Why aren't they hostile here when they're hostile elsewhere? So we look at examples like that from history, from sociology, from anthropology, and that's where the reality comes from in creation and exalted, um, rather than just like, okay, we've got the we've got the Moors, and we'll just drop the Moors and we'll change their names. Yeah. And uh, like for the call, okay, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy shit going on at the call. A lot of sorceress stuff. A lot of lunars running around. So it's pretty crazy. The call, by the way, is gonna is gonna get some detail in the realm book coming up. So if you're looking forward to that, get the realm book. Ooh. But for the call, we've drawn a lot of comparisons as we worked on it to the Crusades, to the invasion of Normandy, and to the Vietnam War. And for Wuxian, we looked at Kowloon City and we imagined it expanded in size and, and filled with martial arts gangs and evil spirits and normal people caught between martial arts gangs and evil spirits and s- still making good, pretty good life for themselves. Um, just, just took that concept and dropped it into Exalta and said, hey, what if this? Uh, so that's, that's a lot of the way that our setting building works, how we ground it. And make it feel authentic because we we have that axiom in order for fiction to work it has to be believable and yeah and also the grounding lets us do things 
that it's not that we couldn't otherwise, but that people wouldn't care if we did otherwise. Like, if you've ever been like, you know, I'm not sure about all this pulling back of the ubiquitous magic through the rest of the setting. The fact that we did that is the reason why you like Easier so much out on the Dreaming Sea. Because the fact that, you know, sorcerers are now these rare, singular, weird dangerous dudes is what makes the fact that here over here in just this one place we've got a city just ruled by a council of the damn things an entire nobility of sorcerers is like wow okay that's special you don't see that anywhere else oh yeah speaking of the dreaming sea that is one of the biggest changes to like you look at the map and it's right there and definitely wasn't there before, and there's so much really cool stuff going on there specifically. So what kind of motivated the inclusion of the Dreaming Sea, and what are some of your favorite things about it? Yeah, wow, that's a that's a huge question. Before I knew what the Dreaming Sea was, and before I knew the details of, of any of its interior locations, I had to put it there in the first place. That was like the first thing you did when you were like, we're going to redraw the map, and I want an ocean here. <laughs> Yeah. It was your very, very first fucking thing you did. Yeah, well, when we when we decided to redo the map, one of my big reasons for doing that was to get rid of the conformity of land masses. I didn't like that you could start southwest of Anteng and then just walk if you walk east far enough and then you walk north far enough and then you walk west far enough you've walked across 75 percent of the world and you could just do that because it was one contiguous landmass. so uh we put down orders to our map guy at the time that was stephan lee shepherd to break up the geography and make it less contiguous and I was just like looking at Google satellite photos and I got taken with the idea of a sea whose border continued all the way off the edge of the map into the wild. So I had Stefan just take a hatchet to that, the, the formerly empty southeast and make a sea going all the way off the edge. And once I saw it, I knew that would be a, just a perfect place to lay down some of the pulp fantasy roots of the new edition. Like easier has shades of Elric's home. And the backbenders are very, they're very more cocky. And also uh, the, the Ten Fathers are kind of this strange uh, biblical throwback that you'd see in something Robert E. Howard would write. A little bit of Clive Barker in there, too. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Clive Barker. Uh, everything has a, a Conan feel to it, except maybe Palanquin, where I, I, stuck the, I stuck the gate to something familiar from the end of second edition in Palanquin. Oh, yeah. And then, and then, and then, as a result of Palanquin, we get the art of Butt Town. Yes, <laughs> like like everyone wants to be from Butt Town. Like, like very inadvertently, the the artist drew the the statues holding up Palanquin, and they had one of the districts like like in the butt of one of the statues. So like. You know, everybody wants to be from Butt Town. I, I love when just when one of the artists uh, just throws in something that becomes an immortal part of the game, like Butt Town and Trauma Bear. Oh, Trauma Bear. We've been so lucky and uh, so blessed with the third edition art in that sense. Oh, yeah. I do want to say that the Palanquin art, when I was excitedly scrolling through the book when I first downloaded it because I was too excited to actually, like, read the damn thing, <laughs> I saw the art of Palanquin and I was like, this is it. I'm sold. I You don't need to say anything else to me. This is it. It was so evocative. And then reading the description, I it was, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Dreaming Sea was my, my special project. I, I mean, I worked on it. There isn't a part of this game that I didn't work on uh, from system to, to setting. There, there isn't a part where, where my hand isn't on it. 
but the Dreaming Sea is that's his baby. It's uh yeah the dream the Dreaming Sea is almost entirely my uh, my ideas thrown down there yeah and uh, yeah I I, uh, I definitely have some some interesting future in store for that that city and the gate there. I'm very excited about that. Speaking of the future. <laughs> We're looking at Exalted 3rd Edition. There's a bunch of these new exciting exalts that we're getting these little glimpses of. And personally, looking at the material that's in there, given the fact that I have a deep and abiding love for Siderials, I'm super excited to learn more about the Gatimian Exalted. But what can you share more about, in general, these new Chosen, who should pick and choose to disclose what you can about, and maybe what they mean for the game and the setting? Well, I'll, I'll say one thing and I'll let Holden say something, but one misconception about the Gatimians that I've seen before is that Rakan Thulio, who is this sidereal NPC that we introduced with 3rd edition, uh, one misconception is that he created the Gatimians. He did not. He found them. What that actually means will be revealed as time goes on. We can't we can't tell you that what that means right now, but that alone should underscore how different the settings history is going to be this time around cuz that would have been unthinkable before. Yeah, that's actually so so evocative. Indeed. Holden is is there anything you wanted to to say about them? The Gatimians? Eyes that I love them to death. New exalts gave us the opportunity to well first of all you know a lot of people have asked why you know they were they were sort of afraid that like the idea of exaltation would be watered down by having new exalts and um instead i the new exalts are really there to highlight the classic guys i mean they're interesting in their own right you know, don't get me wrong, I would play a Gatimian happily, and uh, they will at, at some point be playable, but um, they're really there to highlight the the classic core Exalted. The Sidereals, especially in this edition, have gone from like, okay, well, they're, they've, they're these really stylish dudes, but, you know, what do they do other than, like, kill solars or, you know, hide solars in basements? And then teach them kung fu. Now they've they've absolutely got just four hundred irons in the fire, and one of them is a big friggin' war with the oldest of their kind, who's turned traitor and brought forth these horrifying uh, these horrifying new exalts out of the darkness and thrown them at uh, and thrown them at the sidereals. So I mean that's that's something they're dealing with and. Uh, along with the return of the exigents and just generally everything going to help. Um, everybody has more things to do because they have more people to play with and more fo- and more foils to play off of. Indeed, it was really it was really the new Exalted that kind of launched uh, Exalted Third Edition as a property, which was John's idea. Genest was the very first new Exalt. He was, he's, you know, we were sitting down. We knew third edition was somewhere on the horizon that we needed to brainstorm ideas for it. And John said, I want to do new exalts. And I said, new exalts, really? It's like, because that was, that was always kind of one of the really immutable things. You don't screw with exaltation. He said, yeah. And then he told me the story that's currently sitting at the back of the core book, you know, of, of Janest and her exaltation. And I said, Okay, yeah, we're, we need to have new exalts because that's fucking amazing, and we we need to have that. <laughs> and then a couple weeks later, uh, we get a conference call with Rich Thomas and Eddie Webb, and they were like, "Okay, so yeah, we're doing it. We're gonna do. We've gotten 
the green light, we're going to start planning for Exalted. Or, excuse me, no, at that point, they had not yet gotten the green light from uh, CCP mm. at the time, was the owner of the IP. They hadn't gotten the green light yet, but they knew that Exalted Second Edition was basically, you know, it was it was hitting the end of its its uh, its run, and they they knew they wanted to go to CCP and give them a strong pitch for a third edition. It's like we, this is something we know we want. So you know, we have we had kind of these thoughts that maybe it could be something like this uh, or this, and I said, how about this? And then I told them Jeunesse's story exactly as John told it to me. And I said, "Yeah, okay, we need that. Let's we need to run with that." <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, that is that is just I I we watched that that story work. It's magic on so many people. That's why it's sitting at back of the core now. It's it is John's tale with which he told EX3 into life. I ended up putting it down in prose. I remember getting that fiction uh, as a Kickstarter update. Yeah, and reading it and just. I was blown away. I it was so evocative and heartbreaking in so many ways and it I remember like where I was when I read it. It was super foundational, I think, in definitely building my excitement even more, but then changing how I think about Exaltation and the Exalted, I think. Yeah, I mean the the awesome the Exalted are what happens when the world needs a hero. Uh, for the Gatemians, all I can really say that we haven't already said, or maybe we have already said this, is that all of the new Exalts play with some theme or other. They get that nothing is exclusive to anyone in Exalted, but everyone's calibrated to be particularly good for this or that, mm-hmm. particularly in a narrative sense of exploring this or that theme. The Gatemians are about loss and finding your way in the wake of it. And uh, they're, and that's going to make them very, very, very dangerous to a lot of people. That sounds super exciting. That's a theme that I'm personally very fond of exploring. So I'm very much looking forward to the Gatimians. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you know you can't play a solo who lost something. God knows, <laughs> everyone, everyone, everyone makes one at some point. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's. There are things it's like, yes, you can do this, or yes, this is like central to everything that this guy does. So. Absolutely. Looking back to the Solars, 3rd Edition really brought them into life. They breathed a whole bunch of new, fresh, exciting air into them. And that's gotten me really excited looking at the Dragonblooded down the line, the Lunars, the Siderials. So what about all of those returning old guys that are coming back for third edition? Like, what can you share about your vision for them? Well, we're taking Lunars, like, absolutely seriously. We see Lunars as the most important thing in, in, the, in the future. It's the, it's the next big mountain. That's not to say that Sidereals and Dragonblooded aren't paramount. If any, if any one of those fails, then we've got a failure on our hands of a, of an edition because you know we can't we cannot go another edition where Lunars and Sidereals don't work or we're Dragonblooded or underwhelming. But we're we're really looking at Lunars as a as a goal above everything else because. They have had so many struggles in both editions, in both pre- previous editions, and a lot of people people have always loved the Lunars, but but always been dissatisfied where they ended up. And we're 
we're taking that seriously because lunars are, are a lot of different things to a lot of different people and we're going to have to disappoint some people with them and we we take that seriously because we don't like disappointing our our longtime fans of exalted we don't we don't like doing that we don't you know we take that seriously so there's choices to be made but our goal is our focus is always going to be how does this feel and we're determining what should a lunar feel like and that's the big question because you ask 12 people you get 13 answers (laughs) so we're we're looking at the core of what made them what made people fall in love with them we're looking at what's in the setting already that is true and what are the things that feel false where did they where did they fall short and what what made them stand tall and so we can't we we can't say anything concrete yet because lunars appropriately are in flux And we we're working on it. We're working on them, working on them, working on them. We've been working on them all mm-hmm. along. Um, and we, we haven't had time to just sit down and work on just them in, in a while, but we're getting there right now. We're working on dragon blooded. Their book is, their book is actually getting close to complete. What's what is holding the book back right now is that, um, we, we got about halfway through the charms and I decided it needs to be restructured. Their charm set needs to, they need to get powered up. The elemental feel has to be stronger. The presentation has to change. I can't get into the specifics of what that mm-hmm. means, but a dragon blooded are a tricky bunch because. A lot trickier than they look. They're a lot trickier than they look. Uh, they're not. Here's the secret. This is the secret insight. I can't really explain it, but here's the secret insight. They're not suited to a charm set the way solars are. They have to have something a bit different. The trick is they can't be too complex. They have to be something that a starting player can take and play and enjoy. Mm-hmm. So they can't be, you know, far more mechanically complex than solars. Now some some exalts, and this is this is a warning stamp to some of you who are listening. Who might be worried? Yes, there will be some exalts who have more complicated, more advanced mechanics because they're going to be they're going to be exalts who were built for people with high levels of of system understanding. You know, there there are fans of Exalted who are really deep into the mechanics and the way the system shakes out competitively, and there are going to be people who are who follow the design to its its end and they understand it, and there are going to be some more complicated exalts for them. Not hard to play, not bogged down mechanics, but mechanics you wouldn't drop on a new player. Exalts will ask a little more of the player. Yeah. Yeah. Dragon blooded. They're going to be, they're going to have, they're going to ask a little more of the player, but we have to draw the line at asking too much of the player and previous mechanics we had spearheaded by me were coming right off of i i wrote the entire solar charm set okay all all 777 charms and when i started working on the foundation of dragon blooded i was still in the complexity level of the end of the solar charm set where i was working in advanced tactics and what do they look like here and and what's the really like high tactical gameplay and i started to build the dragon blooded like right out of that design and it was only it was only one ability set before I said, "Oh, hold on, wait a minute. 
that's too much. That's that's too much for our player for especially our new players to get into. I want new players to be able to drop right in. It might be a little more complex than solars, but not but not so much that it will make them discouraged. And I I felt like maybe what I was doing before might have discouraged the newer players while it would have tapped into the the players who are already have been playing solars and really get the get the combat strategy so so i dialed them back and we did about half the set and saw a lot of good things in that half a set but i identified another problem in in cohesion of the five different elements not working out into really coherent characters that felt the way we wanted dragon blooded to feel we have this thesis of elemental control and what does it feel like to to have these volatile powers that you have to learn to master like even more so than solars um the elements are just these textured tactile things and we want them to have a mechanical identity and we want to have the dragon blade and have a relationship to the elements through that mechanical identity so we're going back and we're restructuring we've got like half the set done and now we're restructuring it and we're getting rid of some things and we're adding some things so i know i'm being vague and keeping a fair and keeping a fair bit of what we got oh yeah we're keeping a fair bit and i know i'm being vague but we take like we take these exalts utterly seriously our classic exalts there's no one more important so each each time so i said you know here's my cop-out answer but it's always going to be this whatever i'm working on is my favorite i absolutely defend that splat uh and make sure that it works make sure that it is the best version the definitive version that is my promise so that's what we're doing so it if there's a delay in dragon blooded that's why and many of the delays before in solars that's why sidereal is going to be tricky and bastardly lunar is going to be savage and awesome abyssals are going to be stylish as fuck they none, none of them are giving any ground away to anybody they're going to be uh in in each case the coolest rendition they've ever had that's that is our goal i'm very excited about that the flair that was brought to the presentation of the abyssals in in third edition really got me excited about them in a way that abyssals have never really appealed to me so that's super exciting sweet fantastic so, pulling back away from the Exalted themselves and to creation in general, Exalted as a game line has this history of really taking care to be diverse and inclusive. First edition prominently featured Harmonious Jade, a black woman in a dominant, non-sexualized position on the cover. And third edition features this really incredible, awesome, beautiful piece of Prince Diamond, who is an incredibly badass trans man as its cover. So could you speak a little bit to the diversity and inclusivity of creation as a setting and Exalted as a game? How did you kind of approach those topics as you were developing the edition? Everyone should be able to have uh, heroes heroes who are like them. Absolutely. We both agreed uh, 110% with Jeff's intention, putting Harmonious Jade on the cover. He was speaking... Just the fact that there's like swords and a bow and fantasy stuff just there we go. He's got 90% of the traditional RPG market. He's mm-hmm. got him right there. And he took care to to look to everyone else, you know, that that every other book on the shelf was not speaking to and go, "Hey, you know, I see you. Come over here. How would you like to be the star of uh the biggest story ever told?" 
You, yes, you. You specifically. Yeah, the one no one ever talks to, you. And and I think that was a absolutely great thing. Um, we knew we we knew we we had a pretty good idea. We wanted Prince Diamond on the cover, going clear back to God twenty. When when was the Kickstarter? Twenty thirteen. 2013. 2013, um, which was a, a hell of a, a hell of a lot more unusual back then. And I'm glad that it's less shocking today because uh, I am really, really uh, glad that in the three intervening years, trans rights have uh, and acceptance and visibility have made the strides they have made. Uh, that leaves me overjoyed. Absolutely, but but we felt like you know it was it was not enough to just repeat what Jeff did. You know, um, in that in the time between Exalted's original publication and now, when Exalted came out, people were freaking the fuck out because uh, a few shows on network television were starting to do kind of sort of maybe deniably gay relationships, and now. Gay marriage is the law of the land everywhere in the United States of America. So we wanted to keep current with the moving uh, front line of inclusive, respectful art and entertainment. So we said, "There's a who's who's no one talking to right now that really needs to hear, you know, hey, we see you, and we'd like to, t- and you know, uh, we think you should be the the star of the show." And there you have Prince Diamond. Yeah, yeah, uh, Prince Diamond was there were there were about three different eclipses in that spot before i before i just i just kept shuffling them out i was like not right not not good enough not not right just isn't right and i landed on prince diamond with both feet and i was like this is the character yeah this is the one as soon as i met him in my mind i was like it's perfect it's direct from the delzon the most ultimately pure and heroic and courageous solar that has ever been printed like the most selfless one that we've seen so far this is him and he's gonna be the heart of this circle of kind of reprobates like like every every other member of the circle and they're good they're good characters but they're reprobates Vulfur's fiction speaks for itself. <laughs> oh yeah, well they've you know the the fans have already decided that that Vulfur and Prince Diamond are like you know like they're they're putting them together as <laughs> the the OTP. But yeah, Prince Diamond is the heart of that circle, and and Prince Diamond is is an eclipse. And uh, once once upon a time, someone accused me of not caring about the eclipses of. You know, they just they just said, you know, back back during second edition, I don't care about eclipses because I, you know, I had done the dawn solution or something. I I couldn't I couldn't follow their logic. But they, you know, it was something they repeated. Like this was a person who left this as a review on every book I wrote. Like you know, he he said this and that, and he doesn't care about eclipses, and they'll never matter. And you know, so like in your face review guy, because (laughs) Prince Diamond is on the cover of third edition and he is on the cover because i said put him on the cover it's what we need we need this character we need to send this message it's not only for eclipses but it's for minorities to see that once again our priorities have not shifted from first edition we see you and we want you here we want you at the table I'll say this, and this this is uh this is from my heart to everybody out there. I'm a I'm a straight white 
male Gen Xer. I uh, was raised with a lot of bad ideas. I was raised with a lot of uh, prejudiced ideas. But in in every every corner of my life, it has been a a black person, a Hispanic person, a gay person, a trans person who has lifted me up. And through their friendship, they show me, they, I saw myself through their eyes and they showed me a bigger person than I really was. And because of them, I've been able to live up to that bigger person and become somebody better. So if, if I know what, what exalted is, it's because I've been exalted and, you know, I just, I want them to know that, you know, that we care. We do. Also, um, big ups to Rick Berry for drawing that awesome picture, and Rich Thomas for having the Huevo, you know, because ultimately the cover is the art director's call uh, in the division of labor that goes into making one of these books. We can do art notes, and, and we can make suggestions, but it's ultimately the AD and the creative director that get all that work done and that approve it and contract the artists, and uh, it's was fully within his power to go, you know, I think we should do this for a cover of this, something, you know, this important. And he's done that with some core books in the past. Yeah. Um, not with us, but I know other White Wolf books yeah. have been just, he came down, this is what the cover is going to be, this is what we need. And, you know, the the developer had no mm-hmm. input. But he totally had our back on this. He said, you know, is it really, you want to do that? And I was like, yeah. It's like, oh. It's like, all right, let's do it. He's the kind of guy. He's the kind of guy who will get an email from someone who's like, I think, you know, I think this is very inappropriate that you're shoving this in my face. And he's just like, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> he's uh, he's awesome. I've seen him go there. Yeah, he's like, well, that's that's your opinion, and you're wrong, and mm-hmm. fuck you. <laughs> it wasn't our call. It wasn't our call to make, but it was it was our idea. We asked for and, it, and he, yeah, yeah, John asked yeah. for John asked for it, and Rich had our back. Rich went with it, and. Here we are. I think that goes without saying, though. You know that things that go without saying uh, go without saying too often. You know, there's I, no one ever fucking uh, no one ever interviews the art director mm-hmm. for a book. You know, uh, Maria Cabardo actually had that helm. Just Rich was mm-hmm. in there working with it a lot, and ultimately he's the decider. Also, Maria Cabardo, amazing work oh, on man. the layout of our book. Those. The, the people who make the books beautiful, you know, they don't get a lot of recognition in this hobby. So it could, it should go without saying. I'm saying it anyway. Back to, like, the actual uh, more important question. Yeah, and I've I've met people at conventions um, online in real life who've, you know, for, for us, it's, it's we should do this because it's the right thing to do. Not anymore. Thank God we're not alone in this anymore. At White Wolf or Unexalted, uh, it's becoming more widespread in the mm-hmm. hobby, and that's a great thing. But, you know, for the longest ass time, it was just like the attitude is, you know, we'll take a stand for people nobody taking a stand mm-hmm. for because no one else is. And for me, you know, all that really amounts to is some idiot sends me an angry email and I tell him to go fuck himself. But I've met other people who, you know, it's like, Years and years of media go by, and no one bothers to you know to say, "Hey, you know, I see you out there. You be the hero. You be awesome. Here's someone like you." And they kick ass, and they're the main character. You know, for for us, it's it's meaningful. It means something to us. But uh, other, I've met other people out there. To them, it means the world. And if you can do something like that for someone with your art, with your work, with your entertainment, I mean, my God, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Thank you guys both for 
for sharing that. That was that was really good stuff. And I think it's time to move out of some of those heavier topics as we move into the final motions of this interview. And we've discussed a lot of the high points and the low points and the different parts of third edition. And I've asked you what your greatest triumphs were, but now I'm going to ask you both what your favorite thing about third edition is. Hmm. That, that silence is like calculating all the, all the stuff, man, that's a, that's a toughie. Uh, what's your favorite new thing in the system? What's your favorite thing in the system? The, what's your favorite thing in the system? What's your favorite thing in the setting? We'll break it down. Yeah. The two are good. Well, gosh, this is going to sound, uh, egotistical. No, I mean, sorcery, like shaping, shaping rituals, oh, different ways you can gather moats. That's, that's such a great, great textured idea, you know, that it makes sorcery so dynamic. The best thing about that, and the thing that really tickles me, is that the, um, because it's not coming out of your moat pool, the, the, the rate of speed at which you can gather the moats is also the recast speed on the spell. So, so it's a double, it's a double whammy. Like, how fast can you, can you build up to have the cost to cast the spell is also how fast can you build it up again to cast the spell again. So so the recast mechanic is built right into the cost. I think that's my favorite thing about the system that I can think of right now. Like I've got all kinds of things, but that 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 really stands out for me. I always think about that and smile. How about setting? A setting? God. Uh there's there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff one of the coolest things, though, is the secondary schools of the realm. And we're having a lot of fun just because of the interplay between the houses. And we've changed up the interplay of the great houses. We've changed a lot of what they do. Like, they're still recognizable. But we've we've really expanded and given depth to the houses and their histories and their attitudes and made them more identifiable. So playing young dragon blooded in the primary and secondary schools is just going to be like off the chain. It's going to be so much fun. So that would, that would be my favorite thing in the setting right now. Awesome. What about you Holden? Um, for system initiative, I just endlessly boundlessly happy that we took the, anytime I do game design initiative is an obligatory element. It's like, well, Okay, there's going to be a fight. We have to figure out who goes first. So I guess you make this non-standard roll that everybody, no one really remembers how it works in most games, and they have to look it up for the first eight sessions. And then, okay, and now here we go, and now we're actually doing the fun thing. And we took that, we took that ugly duckling, uh, obligatory system element of every RPG, and we made it like the the beating heart of this awesome combat system. I'm so happy with that. Inside that, just combat, the combat itself, I, I, I love it. I love the way it plays. Happy with it. Um, setting God, Lujan probably. I just I love the place to death. It's it's just so damn cool. It's uh, just all of Exalted's inspirations come crashing together in this wonderfully lively, vibrant, ugly, dirty milieu. Oh yeah, this just this this nasty, enormous slum sitting right at the most important geographical trade point in the world. And thus, it is of great interest to every empire with maritime trade. Absolutely. Oh God, his his answer is like unfolding all kinds of other answers in my mind. That that question is a rabbit hole. <laughs> like, uh, liminals. I love liminals. I love listening to people's stories about how uh, they 
how their players, every fucking group I talk to has a story of how they accidentally made a liminal in their game. <laughs> you can make a whole podcast out of that question. Just ask us, like, what do we want to talk about? Oh, we'll talk about, like, anything. All right. Well, since we don't have time to make a whole nother podcast about that, can you tell me a little bit about where Exalted goes from here? There have been a lot of talk about the different exalted and your vision for the setting but just in a nutshell what's on the horizon for the line speaking within the lore not within the release schedule not within not within fan support but within the lore things are going to get better before they get worse it's very cryptic but you've got the dragon blood coming you know that you know the dragon blood are on their way so creation's big defenders or so they say that's that's the line they that's the line they run with Maybe not true. You have to pick up the realm and what fire has wrought to see my real opinion on that. But yeah, there are some dark skies on the horizon. And I'm not just talking about abyssals. Things are going to get exciting. If people are, are afraid that there's nothing to challenge the solars, boy, they got another thing coming. Oh man, that's very exciting to hear. Old enemies and some new ones. Some things you've never seen before and some things you never expected. Ooh. I'll say this. How about this? Pages uh, 54 and 55, core book. It's a two-page spread with uh, that has caused much speculation. Oh, yeah. The far left and the far right exalts, of course, we've, we've seen before in prior editions, and we'll see them again. Of the five exalts pictured there, I'll say this. Three of them are relatively recent players uh, on the board, and two of them are very, 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 very old. Ooh. There you go. Something new for everyone. Thank you. All right. Well, at that, is there anything else you guys wanted to share before we wrap this thing up? I just want to say thank you for having us on. It was really fun. Uh, it was a really good interview. Love the questions, and, and you got a cool shirt. And, well, we should we should do this again. You know, if you, you come up with more questions you want to ask us. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and go ahead and invite us. I had had a lot of fun. Yeah, do I did too. Um, yeah, play Exalted. Show it to your friends. Oh, and for God's sake, if you're doing print on demand, it is worth it to kick in the extra for the premium. I we got to see like the standard and the the premium side by side yesterday, and they're both really pretty. But like the color pop on the uh, on the premiums is even it's even more vibrant than the than in the pdf i was surprised yeah yeah they both they both look really nice but you will see the the definition in the premium version just just pops especially any page with novia on it like the reds there's so much more depth to the reds Ooh, oh yeah the reds in contrast with the shadows yeah Arms of the Chosen is uh, not that far out now, and uh, to those who've been wishing they had some more guidance than the core book provides on building their own artifacts and evocations, uh, Arms of the Chosen is going to have your back on that in a very, very big way. Possibly the most uh, assistance uh, any RPG book has given for homebrewers to do it the way we do it. So look forward to that. Yeah, and we are going to be at Gen Con, so if anybody is going to Gen Con, come say hi to us, and uh, we really we really wish that the Swallows of the South gig was, would be there, uh, though the, it seems uh, Monkey Pie will not be there, but if any of you are going to oh. show up, come see us for sure. If, this isn't a promise, but if we're far enough along, we do want to demo Dragon Blooded at Gen Con, so show up 
and we'll keep people updated on whether that's going to happen or not. So follow us on Twitter. I'm at hate wheel. Oh, and check out exalt, Witch. uh, there's a group of very awesome people doing another exalted game on Twitch TV. Yeah. If you want to check out exalt Twitch, just follow me on Twitter. Yep. Exalted all over the place. Uh, swallows of the South podcast, exalt, Twitch. And uh, we can be cited sometimes on the official forums as well. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I would absolutely love to have you guys back on. Maybe I can pick your brains a little bit when we get closer to the dragon-blooded or what have you. This was a lot of fun for me, too. That's for sure. Totally. Yeah, thank you for giving insightful, detailed responses and sharing your ins- your excitement and the emotions that you have about the game yeah. and the stuff that's happened around it. It was an absolute pleasure, you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Swallows of the South. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us, rate us, and review us on iTunes. Every review really helps get the show out there to more new listeners. If you want to find us on the web, you can find us at swallowsofthesouth.com, on Twitter at swallowsofsouth, on Tumblr at swallowsofthesouth.tumblr.com, and on Google Plus at swallowsofthesouth. If you have any questions you would like answered, or would like to speak to Quinn via email, please send your messages to swallowsofthesouth at gmail.com. Our intro music is new by Elvis Herod, and I hope to see you next Tuesday.